Blog Talk Radio. Challenging, thought-provoking, insightful. This is the Ninja Pastor with Sunday's God in Country with Dr. Sean. Hosted by nationally known speaker, Reverend Dr. Sean Michael Greener. Not your typical reverend. Dr. Sean is a proud U.S. military veteran, former law enforcement officer, founder of the internationally regarded executive protection team. Through his riveting national speaking, this ninja pastor tells it like it is. This show is biblically and politically engaged in the battle to save our country. With a pedal to the metal, with this Sunday's edition of Sundays with Dr. Sean. Buckle up. Here's your host, the author of the critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, Reverend Dr. Sean, the Ninja Pastor, with today's message. Welcome, 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 listeners just joining us across the country, and yes, you did miss a great meal. One of the biggest things I get questions about every single week, I get tons of emails, and they all say, come on, you don't really sit there and eat dinner every single week, and it's not really as great as you always say that it is, but uh, um, there's there's photographic evidence right now on the internet, on facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio. You go there, you will see the photograph of the amazing food we have. I'm just saying. You could have some of it, but, you know, if you don't want to, it's fine. Just listen. It's nowhere near as much fun, but fine. Uh, all of us get together. We, uh, You know, by the way, you don't have to come. I did get that question before uh, some some folks said, look, I'd, I'd like to come, but I, I'm on a special diet. I'm allergic to this or that or whatever. You know, there's all kinds of different reasons. And they said, um, oh, Don, that's, that right there is just unbelievable. That right there is unbelievable. Um so they uh, they say, can I come? Do I have to come right at 5? And I say, no, you can come at 5 and just hang out. Uh, if you want to bring a plate just for yourself, you can do that too. Uh, or just come at a little before 5.30 and, and just enjoy the time here. Um, we It's practically every Sunday uh, at 5.30. But at 5 o'clock, we get together to eat. That's how we do it at RK Hala anyway. I don't know how you do it at yours. We are, I should say, uh, politically incorrect, and we cut it straight, and we go straight to the point. We are unmistakably pro-Israel, and we make no apology for being pro-Israel and pro-America. I am the Black Robe Regiment. Let me just say, in, in my open every week, I, I say that every week, and I want to point out, there's a great interview. I don't care for Bill Maher as a person or professionally. Uh, he's just not a guy I would ever spend any time with. I don't... I don't ever want to drive business his way. However, there is an interview on YouTube where Bibi Netanyahu was on the uh, was, was on his show, not not physically there, but being interviewed by him. And I have to tell you, it's one of the best interviews I've ever seen Bill Maher do. He was extremely respectful. Uh, you know you're in the presence of greatness when you talk to Bibi Netanyahu. You also know that you're in the presence of a certified genius when you're in the presence of Bibi Netanyahu. And you also know you're in the presence of a guy who knows the cost of every word when you talk to Bibi Netanyahu. And you could tell that Bill Maher understood the the gravity of this interview. 
and uh, it was it was a very well done interview. I, I really had a great appreciation for it, um, and it's the full interview that's on on uh, YouTube. Very very good. Um, <clears throat> anyway, not for nothing, but we use the appropriate and accurate uh, Hebrew words for the characters and places in Scripture. And look, I don't pretend to be Jewish, although I'd be proud to be Jewish. I don't pretend I am. I just believe in using the proper words. That's my thing. Remember, the pens of the Bible are being held by predominantly Hebrew people, and they're teaching us through their shared struggle and experiences of faith. We have a lot to learn from them. The Hebrew people are the origin of our faith. We're not their origin or even the perfecter of, of and I get, every time I say this, uh, somebody said, you ought to take that out because you make me mad every time you say it. Well, it's true, so I say it every time because it's true. Uh, you know, the Hebrew nation, the the people in general, are the the foundation of our faith. You say, no, Jesus is. No. God through the Hebrew people are. Yeshua is is the the thread, our redemption, uh, the fulfillment of prophecy uh, that brings it all together. But uh, we don't demean our, our Jewish friends at all, whether they're Messianic or otherwise. Yeshua is the name in Hebrew for the Lord. Uh, it means Yahweh, the Lord is salvation. The English spelling of Yeshua is Joshua. However, when translated from Hebrew into the Greek language, the name Yeshua becomes in Greek, Iesus. The English spelling, as you might guess, for Iesus, Jesus. So that's how we got the name of Jesus, like a, the game of telephone played over 2,000 years. I just chose to cut the line and cut out the middleman in the thousands of years uh, and just call him by his original and actual name, Yeshua. Okay, so I always forget to do this. I'm going to remember, please, while you have the chance, uh, if you're on Blog Talk Radio, if you've clicked on that, click on subscribe. Uh, and if you are on Twitter, at the Ninja Pastor, follow me on Twitter. Uh, and then also, so it's blogtalkradio.com backslash the Ninja Pastor. You click subscribe to that. And on Facebook at facebook.com backslash God and Country Radio, all you do is right under my leg, I think if the same picture is on there, I don't know if it is or not, but uh, right under my leg, you'll see a book. And then right there, Sean has put S E A N, has put um, sign up. You click on sign up and magic happens. I'm just saying. Hey, welcome to our chat users. Thank you for uh, doing that. I'm going to send you a message right now. And uh, it is magical. Magical how I do it. Not really. Uh, by the way, our, check out the free messages and talks on TheNinjaPastor.com. We're working on a way to try to migrate everything over to the Blog Talk Radio so you have one place to go. We've literally, uh, I want to say, 400 hours on uh, the different sites. We want to bring it all over so it's easy for you to track. Uh, but but True Vine Web Creations, uh, Miss Kim Paul in the mountains of North Carolina, is rebuilding our website, so you might experience periods of periods of time. We're going to have some cool stuff on there, some neat things. So anyway, so last week you people kept interrupting me so much I couldn't hardly get through anything. Yeah, I know. I hope you repented. Yeah, you know every time that the kehala. So Second Corinthians eight. Hey man, what I meant to do, give or say, was the intent. I want to talk about the intent. What is actually in our hearts? What's in our hearts? How do we really know what's in our hearts? You can find out here today. I mean, this is kind of cool. This is part two. Uh, the emissary 
Paul or Shaul. His real name is Shaul. We just made up the Paul name. Um, he'll help us do this, and it's going to be fun. I, I call this the why behind our try. Do you guys remember my example from last week about the glasses? I probably just completely obliterated the example uh, that I gave, the why behind the try, the three glasses. What if I had plenty of water and three people needed water? What if they were all three dying of thirst, so dehydrated that they simply and tragically and preventably would die if I don't actually give them water? What if I intended to give them water, but I didn't, and they all three died? Does my intent make any difference? No. It makes no difference at all. Intent, uh, wanting to do well, is a good thing. I don't want to demean that even a little bit. Um, there's a lot of people uh, that, oh, thank you. Someone on the, um, on, on the chat tweeted out our URL for the show to all of her friends. She's a lot of friends. I, that's awesome. Love that. Thank you for doing that. Don't know how to do it, but thank you. Uh, but uh, the thing is, is intent is a big thing. Uh, our, our great friend, uh, Steve, just came in just now and from a very busy day carrying his violin. He's an exceptional violinist and fiddle player. And he can play some serious bluegrass. We always try to uh, manipulate him into playing, <laughs> at the end, playing some bluegrass for us after we do our hymns. I know we're weird, and we embrace it. But it's fun, and we all laugh, and sometimes people get up and dance. Uh, but Steve has played the violin for many, many years. Uh, he, how did he? How did he get to be an excellent violinist? Practice, and in order to practice, you have to intend. And in order to have that talent, your intent has to become action. You have to put your intent into action. Doesn't doesn't matter what you intend to do. If he intended to be an excellent violinist, well, then he had better practice. You start that with intent. We have a physician in the room, so yeah be a doctor. Well, I am kind of a doctor. <laughs> I didn't think about that. But not the kind that heals people's body. Uh, but but if I, uh, you know, if, if I really, really, you know, gosh, I want to be a doctor so much. I just really want to be a doctor. But instead of going to medical school, I play golf every day. Am I going to be a doctor? Yeah, a lot of them do. Good point. Good point. You're going to be a good golfer. Uh, but the thing is, is if I want to do that, let's say, uh, you know, look, intent doesn't mean a thing. And you don't want a doctor who, instead of going to medical school, really intended to be a doctor and played golf every day instead of going to school. You remember that movie, uh, Catch Me If You Can? Uh, Frank Abagnale. It's a true story. Now, the Leonardo DiCaprio dude, I don't care much for that guy. His politics really are horrible. But you can't take away from him. In this movie, he really does a fantastic job. He's a good actor. At times, I've seen him in some things, I think, ugh. But uh, in this movie, you know, that guy intended to do a lot of things. But because of, you know, family life and some challenges that were in his life, some brought on by himself, he pretended to be a lot of things. What is one of the things he pretended to be? An airline pilot. Now, I don't know if you know, but I don't want a guy who's pretending to be an airline pilot flying my plane. He also pretended to be a doctor at a prestigious 
medical institution. Uh, I don't want that guy. He intended, but he didn't do. So intent, you know, really, it, it's it's critical. It's absolutely critical. I'll just I'll lay one on you. It's true and real in my life. Um, I take this medicine that keeps me alive. That it's number one. Its first side effect is not you can't lose weight, but weight gain. So I've dropped my calories dramatically, which the kehalas all week, so I can eat at the kehala. No, no, I'm kidding. Uh, but but the thing is is um, I need to lose, you know, I, I want to lose about 30 pounds. So if I, I can intend, I intend to lose weight. But look, if I don't exercise to the extent I'm capable and I don't reduce my caloric intake significant to cause weight loss in a long enough period of time for me to lose 30 pounds, guess what? I can intend all I want. Don't make a difference in the world. Well, that's to do something. That's performing the intent, uh, describing that as an action. But what if intent is... What we're talking about intent is where your heart is. And where our heart is is really important for our spiritual life. Where we are in our heart, where we, what our intent in our heart is really, really critical. It's just absolutely critical. So let's pick up where we left off in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. Because you people didn't allow me to get past verse 9, which, I don't know, hopefully you've repented. Let's see if you do any better. I'm just kidding. I interrupt myself. See, I just did it just then. For you know how generous our Lord Yeshua the Messiah was. For your sakes, he impoverished himself, even though he was rich, so that he might... Now, hang on a second. got to interrupt myself. It's a rare thing I do. But we read through this pretty quickly. We read over this really quickly, and we think we know what that means. A lot of times people think they know what that means. But let me just tell you, uh, for you know how generous our Lord Yeshua the Messiah was. For your sakes, he impoverished himself, even though he was rich. Does that mean that Yeshua gave money? He gave so much money that he gave all of his money away, and now he's living in poverty. No. Even though he was rich, we're not talking about money, that he might make you rich, also not talking about money, by means of his poverty, also not talking about money. What did he give? His spirit, he gave his body, he gave, he gave his whole life, he gave his whole life. He impoverished himself because he took from his body life so that we could be made rich life in his life. Absolutely powerful. Even though he was rich, even though. Can you give away millions of dollars if you don't have millions of dollars? No, you really can't. Can you give life if you don't have life? You really can't. A quick analogy, I'll just say, I talk about this all the time, is, and, and I struggle with this because I, I want to find a better way of describing this, but look, if you're a sour push Christian, nobody wants what you got. Nobody wants what you got. I talk about the bumper sticker, follow me to so-and-so church, and then you cut somebody off and give them the angry finger you know, on your way, and then you pull into the church parking lot, you Compose yourself. Nobody wants to follow you anywhere because you're not a very nice person. I'm just saying. So they might make you rich by means of his poverty. As I say, in regard to this matter, I am only giving an opinion. It's funny. Let me just say this. A couple weeks ago, somebody opened a can, and this microphone doesn't pick up very much after the first few rows, but somehow or another it picked it up, 
and somebody uh, sent me a message and said, what do you serve at your kehalab, beer? It's not beer. Golly. It's canned wine, for Pete's sake. Now, why hasn't somebody done that? They've done the box wine. Why not canned wine? You have? That's impressive. Little plastic sippy cups, little sippy, little Capri Suns. Yeah. As I say, <laughs> it's gotten bad here. As I say in regard to this matter, I'm only giving an opinion. A year ago, you were not only the first to take action, but the first to want to do so. When I say I want to lose 30 pounds, I'm saying my intent, my desire, I want to lose 30 pounds. But he's commending these people. A year ago, you were not only the first to take action. Look, they did what he said to do. Action is the greatest demonstrator of intent. Look, you can tell me you want to get in school, but if you spend lots of time studying and practice testing and all of these things and creating study guides for yourself and buckling down and hitting that hard, you know what you're not going to get? You're not going to get A's. If you go play basketball, go swim, go watch movies, instead of doing all that, guess what you're going to get? D's and F's. You're not going to pass. That's just how it works. That's just reality. Ultimately, I like how this is put. You were not only the first to take action. You were the first to want to take action. Isn't that key for us? Uh an example I would give just popped in my head is, you know, if many of us in here, maybe at gym class when we were kids, uh, picking up teams, you know, you don't want to be the last kid picked, right? You want to be that guy that goes, hey, yeah, yeah, pick me, pick me, pick me. You want to be the person that people want to pick, right? You don't want to be stuck on the sidelines. You don't want to be last picked. But here's the thing. You remember in school that, that kid who... I need somebody to clap the erasers and clean the, the, the board. And what do we used to call that person? Their hand first. Oh, I'll do it. I'll do it. Teacher's pet, kiss butt, brown noser, you know, all that stuff. Well, I was one of those kids. I mean, it's not that I, I didn't understand the concept. Marketing was, I didn't get it. The reason why I wanted to do it is, number one, I loved how the blackboard looked when it was completely clean. I just loved it. I loved that look, and I hated it when it was all hazy and all this stuff. I know, I'm weird. But the other thing is, I got to stand on a chair. The teacher would let you stand on a chair because I, I couldn't reach the top part of it. So you had these sponges, and you would wipe it down and all this stuff, and then you got to stand on a chair because you had to dry it off because you couldn't leave it wet because then it would be hazy. And I thought, how cool is this? I get to stand on a chair because I was I was really tiny back then. Hard to believe now, but I was really really small. I was a petite kid, so I remember I was not really cognizant of the fact that people would characterize that as being a kiss bud or or a teacher's pet or a brown noser. I just it didn't even occur to me that because what am I getting out of that? She doesn't give me the blackboard when I'm finished cleaning it. I don't get anything. She doesn't say, hey, you know, Sean, you're so great. We're going to promote you to 12th grade from first grade to 12th grade. You're just a really great kid. No more schoolwork for you. 
Sean, you get triple recess tomorrow because you cleaned the boards. You get nothing out of it. I didn't think. I just wanted to look at a really well-clean board, and I was so obsessive back then. I didn't want to see a board. Like, you know how people are wiping, and somehow they they mysteriously miss a whole big chunk, like six inches? And you're like, can you not see that? You know, and I'm sitting in the classroom obsessing over it, you know? So I didn't want to suffer that, so I just did it myself. Yeah. Now it would be to your advantage to finish what you started. Now, if I said, yes, 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 I'm the first one, I'm the first one, let me clean the boards, let me clap the erasers and clean the boards. And then what do I do? I clap the erasers, but I don't clean the boards. Have I finished the job? No. What if I clean half of the board and I stop? I, I get tired of it. It's doldrums. It's it's tedious. It's boring. That's what kids love to say. Oh, it's so boring. I'm so bored. Boy, you better not ever say that in my house. I'm so bored. Whew. Growing up, oh, that's the worst thing you could ever say. I'm so bored. Don't let my mother hear you say you're so bored. She will find something for you to do. First to take action, but the first to want to do so. Now it will be to your advantage to finish what you started so that your eagerness, by the way, I want you to, the uh, friend of mine, uh, her aunt is having, her name is Jean, she's having very major uh, surgery tomorrow, very risky surgery tomorrow. So if in the radio audience and the folks here, if you can just think of Jean, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Just popped in my head, so. And also my buddy Eric, and of course Don, we continue to keep you in prayer. Uh, it's important. I, I like how this group of people is about prayer. I know when we say that, you people remember it and you pray. Nothing worse, I think, than somebody saying, oh, I'll pray for you. And by the time they get to the door, they don't even remember. They don't make an attempt to write it down or type it in their phone or anything. And you know they're not going to pray for you. I hate that. It drives me crazy. Pet peeve. Anyway, finish what you started so that your eagerness in wanting to commence the project may be matched by your eagerness to complete it. Now, let me just say, Shaul is all about practicality. He really is. Look, that be that's great that you want to start it, but it don't make a hill of beans. How many of you know, by show of hands in the radio audience, how many of you know people that start a whole pile of projects and don't finish any of them? How much, how many, you don't have to raise your hand if this is you, but if that's you, you know, then take a look at yourself because the Bible actually talks about it. Listen, it's great to be eager to want to start a project or start a bunch of projects, but you know what? You better have the same eagerness to complete it as you contribute from what you have. That's going to be an important uh, statement. So let me read that in context. Now it would be to your advantage to finish what you started so that your eagerness in wanting to commence the project may be matched by your eagerness to complete it as you contribute from what you have. For if the eagerness to give is there, the acceptability of the gift will be measured by what you have, not by what you don't have. Now, I'm just going to put it to you this way. God doesn't look at the coffers. He doesn't look at how much we have and say, okay, from you, we need to have this much. There, there's not a, now we know tithe, the concept of tithe, the, tithe, the 10% thing, you know, that's the minimum we're expected to give. I don't think people walk around with a little stick and bop you on the head and go, look, I looked at your bank account and you're not giving 10% clearly and obviously. So, you know, you're going to have to be penalized. You're in the penalty box. But it would say this, if we don't trust God with what we have, what we actually have, 
I know people, and this used to be me, and I think I'm over it, possibly. I used to feel bad that I didn't have millions of dollars to give. I would be giving, you know, and, and some people would think it was nuts. People in the back of the room would think it was nuts. And I would give, and not without any expectation to receive anything in return. I just felt that was what I should give. And I I know people who they have a lot, they give a lot, and they still feel guilty that they don't give more. That's a that's a sticky wicket. It's a tough thing. Uh, there are people, a lot of people in this room who are now retired. You know, when your income stream is over with, and then you depend on either a retirement check to come in or your savings, your what you put away in your 301, was it uh, 401k, your uh, your 403b and all the different IRAs and Roths and all this stuff. You put all this money away, hopefully, and now you got to live on it. Well, newsflash, it doesn't increase, but your your costs increase. So you you very – I see a lot of bobbing heads here. You very uh, reasonably have to curtail a lot of areas. But guess what? If you add going to the gambling casinos – and you reduce your your giving to things of Christ, which, let me say, isn't always an established church. It might be to a mission. It might be to something. Um, if you know some kids that really would benefit from going to a Christian school, but they just can't afford it, their parents can't afford to send them to Christian school, you know, that's that's a tithe, folks. That's a beautiful thing to say, to go quietly and peacefully to those people and say, hey, I know you need this. And I want you to have this. Um, would it be okay if I gave, as you know, my gift to you, a means for your children to attend this Christian school? Instead of giving, you're tied to church. Look, I know pastors all across the country who read my book, Excellence Kill the Church, How Many Actors Destroying America, either for you or it's about you, uh, and they hate me. Because I say in radio interviews and I say in messages, it isn't always that church. Sometimes you see a need and you are the hands and feet of Yeshua. And you intervene in a real way. And you facilitate a blessing happening. I, I look at that as as giving. Your tithe, your, your offering to Christ. There, there are many things. Many different ways you can do that. Anyway, not for nothing. That's the Gospel of Sean, not the Gospel of the Bible. But I'm just saying, contribute from what you have. For if the eagerness to give is there, the acceptability of the gift will be measured by what you have, not by what you don't have. It is not that relief for others should cause trouble for you, but that there should be a kind of reciprocity. At present, your abundance can help those in need so that when you are in need, their abundance, their abundance can help you, thus there is reciprocity. Now, let me say this about that. And you don't have to raise your hand, but I, I'm sure there have been people in this room who at different times in their life have had nothing. So little, you couldn't even say nothing. You just had nothing. N-U-T-N. You couldn't even spell out the whole word. You got nothing. You, you, you know, it's it's a struggle just to just to not even make ends meet to get yourself something to eat. And then at other times in your life, you've had plenty. 
One thing I have always found really powerful is the remembrance of, I remember a time when I didn't have much. won't go into when that was or why, but the fact of the matter is there was a time in my life where I barely had anything. Could barely make it. One one little tiny step after little tiny step. I mean, it was a bad situation for an extended period of time. I remember what that's like. God is interesting in that he will remind us he will remind us when we start getting haughty and we think, you know, I've made it. I've made it. Look what I got. And then we forget about the giving aspect of it. He'll remind you. He'll find a way to he'll find a way to make you humble. Can I get an amen on that? So there's reciprocity. There's going to come a time in all of our lives when we need something. I was always the guy, I'll just tell you, I was always the guy physically speaking who I didn't need anybody to help me. I didn't need anybody to help me earn a living or chop wood or mow grass or any of those things, move furniture, whatever, you know, move equipment. It didn't phase me. I would look at, you know, there was no limitation. I didn't feel on me. And then all of a sudden, in a moment, in a flash, April 12, 2012, I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't walk to the bathroom. You know, everything changed. I went from being this guy who was totally in my mind self-sufficient to all of a sudden the reciprocity of needing to be helped. It was just an amazing juxtaposition for me. It was it was just a, a shocker. It was an absolute shocker. I'll talk more about that in a minute. It is as the Tanakh says, He who gathered much had nothing extra, and he who gathered little had nothing lacking. Now, I thank God for making Titus as devoted to you as we are, for he not only responded to our urging, but being so devoted, he is coming to you on his own initiative. Initiative. Is, that, is, is initiative the same as I intend? Somebody intends to do something, has initiative. Boy, that person has a lot of initiative. Self-motivation is the first thing that pops into my head. I think, uh, you know, well, we we have people from Switzerland. Well, that's so cool. Wow, that's awesome. That must be that group. Yeah, that's cool. Um, initiative, self-motivation. You you drive, you drive, you drive, you drive, you drive, you drive yourself. You don't have to have somebody come knock on your door at seven o'clock in the morning and go. Hey, uh, you need to wake up. You got to go to work. You got to go to school. Hey, it's 7.10. You got to be to school in 50 minutes. Better wake up. Then they come. They shake your bed at 7.20. Then at 7.30. Then at 7.40. Finally, you get up. You rush around. You barely even get your teeth brushed. If you did it all, you throw a little pomade. I love saying that word. Pomade in your hair. And uh, you you rush off. Nobody's any of the wiser. What if that person doesn't come? You've got to get yourself up. You've got to care enough about what you have to do in the day. You've got to care enough about your day, the mission God's given you to do that day, to get yourself up. Set an alarm. Put it far enough away from you where you have to get up and walk to it. Make it loud. Simple example, but you've got to be self-motivated and and in this case, 
Titus came on his own initiative. He he cared enough about these people. He said, hey, I'm going, and he did. And with him we are sending the brother whose work for the good news is praised in all the congregations. Not only that, he also has been appointed by the congregations to travel with us so that the way we administer this charitable work will bring honor to the Lord and show our eagerness to help. Now, he used a word there, two words really, charitable work, this charitable work. Well, what was what was he doing? What was the charitable work? He was going around to the churches. And 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 he was putting everything else last. He was putting it last and going to these churches and they had come to an agreement to say, "Hey, you know, we're going to help you out." I've got a good friend from the Center for Self-Governance. His name is Tim Herr. And when he comes into town, you know, I told him, I said, hey, from here on out, you can stay at our house. Save the money. Stay at our house. We have a tiny house. It's a little bitty. Mark Herr, Tim Herr. I know a Tim Herr, though. That's funny. He just popped in my head. I haven't seen him in a long time. He's much younger. He's much younger, by the way, than Mark Herr. No offense, Mark. You're pretty old, if you're listening. Uh, by the way, Mark is now engaged. Happened on the dance floor and the Elizabeth Powell house, the uh, ballroom at the Elizabeth, the same place. Three, some people say four, presidents danced. He proposed to Miss Pam Leslie. He's going to have a home to go to, or she's going to go with him, one or the other. <laughs> at one of his speaking engagements. Um, but he, what he's doing is is a charitable work. He's giving up everything. That's that's what he does now trying to save the country scrimps and and you wouldn't believe what this guy goes through his luggage is falling apart we tried to outfit him with proper luggage but he really needs an equipment carrier for all this stuff but the point of the matter is is that he's just put it all in line to try to save the republic to keep the republic and that's a charitable work well that's what titus was doing that's what that's what shaul was doing a charitable work you know there was no big board that voted on how much we're going to pay these guys. It was just, you know, the kindness and the, the the giving. And and he didn't say, hey, we're not coming if you don't give. But we're trusting that your heart will be open, that your intent will move from intent to action. Our aim... No, let me go back. Let me go back. I skipped off this too too soon. He has also been appointed by the congregations to travel with us so that the way we administer this charitable work, will bring honor to the Lord and show our eagerness to help. You ever know anybody that does a whole lot of stuff? But it's it's like it's like uh, fingers on a chalkboard. You know, you just, oh, come on. You know, you, you want volunteers, you need volunteers, but they're like, oh, all right, I'll do it. If I have to, this is so hard. You know, it's the e- it's the Eeyore, right? It's the Eeyore. You know, you invite somebody to come, and and they're just they they go on and on about how tired they are. They go on and on about you know this that and the other. They just they just woe out. They woe out all the time. They're tired all the time, and that's what they tell you. And instead of instead of ministering to you, you feel like man, go and take a nap. You know, just go take a nap. You know, you just you want to you want a tigger almost, not an eeyore. And and some people volunteer, and you wish, oh Lord, please don't raise your hand. please don't raise your hand. 
you know, because you're going to have to listen to a lot of complaints, and they, they're probably not going to do a great job. But when you're eager to help, it shows. It shows. Doesn't it? When, when you know somebody's eager to help, man, I want to get in there and I'm going to help. Uh, it really, really shows. That's what this, this group here, the Kehala here in Newark, Delaware, this is, this is a group that their intent becomes action. All right, back to the passage. Our aim in this is to show that our conduct in dealing with these substantial sums is above reproach. Row substantial sums, we're talking about money. For we take pains to do what is right only in the sight of God, not, not only in the sight of God, but also in the sight of other people. Now, this is big. This is huge, right? Churches, when you deal with money, I talk about the pulpit pimps all the time. I talk about it in my book, Pulpit Pimps. You know, oh, we just praying. We need another. We need a G six. That's a that's a hundred and some million dollar jet. They already have three other jets, but they need they need in order to do the Lord's work. They need this other jet, and they need five thousand dollars suits. They're wearing three thousand dollars suits, but they need a five thousand dollars suit. That's a shark. That's a, that's a snake. You know, a snake waiting to strike. It's just sneaky, slithery. I don't have any. I don't have any faith in them, and so they never want you to look at what they do with the money. And here, and this started way back, way back here with Shaul and the, and the Corinthian church. He said, "Look, you know, and you have to realize that the inferred thing here is y'all don't accuse me. I don't. I don't think Shaul talked like that, but I'm just saying if he was from the hood, y'all don't. Hey, don't get it twisted. I do the right thing with this money, and God sees me do." The with this money, and I do it so openly, you see me do the right thing with the money. He addresses it right up front. He's real up front about it. He's very practical. Doesn't it amaze you how practical Shaul is, how practical Paul is? Very practical. Well, he gets a little less practical in one of these other other uh, chapters. But So anyway, not only in the sight of God, but also in the sight of other people. With these two, we are sending another brother of ours, one whose diligence we have tested many times in many ways, but who is now all the more diligent because of his great confidence in you. Let me tell you, I know people that travel around the country and speak at churches for their living. That's how they live. Hello, my brother from Nigeria. You win for farthest traveled. You know, if you come, you win every time. I'm sure nobody else is from further than Nigeria. So, uh, you know, As a person who travels, and that is how you're living. To go to a church, and my buddy Rick Green, I love him, Wall Builders Live, Rick Green, David David Barton, um, he told me, he gave me a great piece of advice. He told me, he said, hey, you know what, Sean? You know, don't worry so much about the large churches, getting them to ask you to come. Don't worry so much about that. Be very happy when a smaller church or a medium-sized church calls you to come. And I said, really? Well, that's, that's different because I don't really care about the size. But if I'm having to feed my family, conventional wisdom, which I don't, don't have very much of, conventional wisdom would have said to me, hey, a larger church, you're going you're gonna to do better. You, you will, you'll survive through that. You'll do better. It's just, it's just, to me, it was economics, law of large numbers, more money. He said, you'd be amazed. I've, I've gone to speak and preach in big, huge churches, six services every Sunday, 20,000 people in it. 
And they made less of a love offering to me than a church with 150 in it. And he said, I just have to shake my head and just be shocked. Wow. So I just, I guess the point here I'm trying to make, and the thing that this passage makes me think of, is he talks about, you know, uh, with these two we're sending another brother of ours, one whose diligence we have tested many times in many ways. So you got to be tested, folks. you got to be tested, right? And if you don't survive the testing, if you don't pass the testing, you're not getting it done. You know, you're you're not you're not achieving the mission. So he was tested in many ways. I guess really what that says is look, anybody can look good once under pressure. Anybody can. It's what over and over, day by day. When the tests come every every single time, you do what you're supposed to do. You do what you're supposed to do. You do it. The next day comes, you do what you're supposed to do. The next day comes, you do what you're supposed to do. But who is now all the more diligent because of his great confidence in you? He knows that you're going to take care of him. He knows that, you know, look, am I going to have a bus ticket? They didn't have buses back then. I don't want to bust your mellow. But um, am I going to have a bus ticket to be able to get back to where I came from? Or are you all going to leave me hanging? No, they showed confidence in him. As for Titus, he is my partner who works with me on your behalf. And the other brothers with him are emissaries of the congregations and bring honor to the Messiah. So the love you show, these men, will justify our pride in you to them and through them to the congregations that sent them. Now, I'm going to bust that down for you. Look, we've been bragging on you, and so when you show them how great a people you are, and I know this. I brag on I, everywhere I go. I talk about the Kehala, this group, you, you living, breathing beings here. I talk everywhere I go, and I talk about every time I'm on the radio, just about. And I know that when guests come, they'll be treated kindly and with love and with acceptance. Uh, you know, unless they're waving an ISIS flag and swinging around machetes, in which case they're gonna get shot and shot older. But uh, but my point is, is I know how they'll be treated. You ever you ever invite somebody over uh, to your house and yeah I've been to many of your homes here and you're just treated with such love and such hospitality you're just so welcome you just love it man I love going there and then you get invited to somebody's house and it's cold and it's weird and awkward anybody ever have that happen well who is the person you're going to invite a friend to oh you got to go meet my friend. Jerry, you got to go meet my friend Sean, my friend Bonnie, my friend Steve, friend Charlie. You know, on down the line, you got to go meet. That's ISIS at the door now. Uh, you got to go meet. Uh, you know, you got to go meet this person. Would you recommend that person if they are not very nice, if they're not very hospitable? You wouldn't, right? You wouldn't do that. Well, what about a church? You know, you you've got you've got Titus coming and his buddies coming. Hey, you got to go see the Corinthian church. They're going to welcome you. They're going to take care of you. They're going to love you. They're going to minister to you. They're going to do all of these things on your behalf. They're going to they're going to care for you beautifully. They're going to care for you beautifully. Or are you going to invite them to go to a church where you know they're not going to be cared for? You know they're not going to be looked after. You know they're not going to be. And I felt bad, you know, uh, Mark Her, great guy, super super great guy. I mean, really one of the best people on the planet. He, um, you know, now he's going to stay at our house. But before we were we were thinking about moving, right? So we had, 
we he was coming here and originally he was going to stay at our house. We have a ti- we have a two bedroom home, little tiny house. Well, guess what? In the meantime of him coming to the house and when he was supposed to come, we were going to sell our house and the movers came and his room I don't know where he would have slept. <laughs> And I said, I don't know how you get into the bathroom because it's blocked. And I don't know how you're going to sleep on your bed because it's covered. And, by the way, a bunch of stuff's been taken out of her house. So, and and thank God there was another person that had accommodations, better accommodations, and, and they could stay. But from here on out, you know, we made it so he can stay. I would love for him to come and hang out. I think we'd get in some trouble. I don't know about y'all, but teacher's pet, right? Yeah, yeah. Come to my house. Yeah, that's right. Still am. So, so I would love for him to come. Now, this goes both ways, right? This goes both ways. You ever say, I have some dear friends. They're probably listening for all I know. Um, I, you know, the Brocks down in Georgia. I am telling you, I love going to the Brocks home. First of all, I've loved them for decades, their whole family. I've known the Brock kids since they were little. Now they have their own children, you know, and they're doing their thing. But the Brocks have been just such wonderful Host and such wonderful friends to me. I love going to their house. The Summers, wonderful guests and hosts. They do make me go down to the basement every single time I'm there. I don't know what that's about. No, it's just a very nice basement, fanciest basement I've ever been in. Um, but so, you know, you've, you've had hospitality in some places that's really wonderful. But I've also been to places where you think, am I in the wrong house? Did I accidentally walk in the wrong house? And I think, you know, you're the ones that invited me, but actually you didn't, and you're just trying to bide time until the police get here to lock me up. I mean, you know, you ever been in that situation? No, no. People like you better than me. That's understandable. But the thing is, it goes both ways. You ever have a guest in your home that you think, my lands, you are rude, inconsiderate, and unsavory. You know, you just talking about, hey, look, I'm too chilly. Turn the heat up. What are you people in the Arctic over here? It's set on 76. I don't keep my house any cooler than 82. Right, you know. Do you know those type of people? Is fried chicken all you got? I don't eat no fried chicken. I'm not from the neighborhood. You know, right? Tuna fish, don't you have white albacore? Mm, Miracle Whip, I don't eat Miracle Whip. I eat Hellman's and only Hellman's. You ever you ever have somebody like that? They come to your house and you think, my lands, come on. You know, when are you leaving? <laughs> I don't have that problem. I, I usher them right to the door. Here we go. I love Miracle Whip. Don't don't hate. I flipped it around on purpose. That's yummy stuff. So so hospitality, you know, hospitality is really, really important. Are you a very hospitable person? Oh good luck. Twelve minutes? Didn't somebody tell me we have to Man, I got awful. I can't blame it on you this time. Listen, let me tell you, it's so pretty. The uh, good intentions, road to hell is paved with good intentions. We have these mini blinds on the windows, and the sun, isn't this awesome how every day in the summer, spring and summer, it's just at the right time, which it shines right in there. It's just perfection. Go to uh, Facebook. I took a photograph yesterday at the Elizabeth Powell House in Philadelphia, Um and it's a picture of a window and the sun just coming through the window a certain way. Go go look on that and click on like and, and uh, that will make me think I'm doing the right thing. But that's what this reminds me of. It's just really pretty and comfortable. Everybody wants to take a nap. So anyway, 
don't be that person. Don't be the none of you are. I know all you people. You're you're good people, but uh you know, you ever have a house guest that just drives you nuts, you can't wait for them to leave. And then you ever have a house guest that you think, Oh, I dread the time when he or she is gonna leave. You know, uh, my friends uh, down in Georgia, and I go see them a fair amount. Uh, I have to tell you, I hate I hate to leave every time. I feel like I'm leaving my family. I leave those kids, and I'm just, you know, and now the grandbabies, and I get all teary-eyed, and Uncle Sean is, come over here, you know, and I got two two new ones coming any minute, right, any minute. Two new ones, Lori and Lisa, both twins, are having uh, babies right within just a couple of weeks of each other. And I'm just, I'm beside myself. I just can't wait. And oh, by the way, my daughter's going to college at University of Georgia. So there's gonna be lots of excuses for me to drive down there. But my thing is, if I was a pain in the neck guest, would they invite me back? Or would they be eager to have me coming back? No, probably not. I try to find ways to, to, to be a good guest, you know. Uh, I, I love it. I love being there. I love being at any, any of my dear friends' houses because it's just such a blessing. I count it as such a blessing. But do I act like it's a blessing? That's the thing. You know, when, when these I, sort of itinerant preachers are coming around in the, to the Corinthian church, you know, Paul is teeing it up here. Shaul is, look, treat them right. Treat them right. Anyway, I have a little bit about the passage, and maybe I might have time to get through it if I, if I hush. The why we do things, the motivation, the what is really in our hearts is as important, if not more important, than the thing we give. If we give our money and we constantly lament the giving of the gift, and if we give our time and we constantly lament the giving of our time, then we're not really in the right place in our hearts. We're not giving from the right place. If we say, oh, here we go again, i got to give. They're going to be on me again. The giving campaign has started over again. <sighs> Boy, do I hate that. But then you write a big fat check or you, whatever. Keep your money. God knows your intent. I call it the why behind the try. If we must be goaded or guilted into giving freely and appropriately, we aren't in the right place in our heart to give to the work of the kingdom. That's just the bottom line. If we must be goaded or guilted. Have you ever had to be goaded or guilted into giving or doing something? to be goaded and you have to be guilted, then you're in the wrong place. Your heart's in the wrong place to give to the work of the kingdom. My uh, dear and esteemed professor uh, and, and good friend and, and also the founder of, of my divinity school, Dr. Dennis Fry, he, he talks about whipped up emotionalism. He wrote a book and, and in that book he talks about whipped up emotionalism. And this is, this is a real issue a real uh, serious issue, is, is equally as bad in the realm of giving as it is in the area of salvation. And I'll just tell you what I mean about that. As I travel this country and I do keynote and conference and, and seminar speaking and I speak in churches and deliver messages in churches, I hear different pleas for sacrificial giving. Give sacrificially. And you know what? You get to some churches and you realize this is a finely tuned machine. This Getting people to give is a finely tuned machine, and they use whipped-up emotionalism as the lubricant in that machine to make it work. Emotional trickery and sad stories. That's what's guilting the people, a large component of the people, into giving. 
You've all heard of the mobster. I thought of this this week. You've all heard of the mobster giving millions of dollars of blood money to the Catholic Church, right? You've all heard of that. You've all seen movies where they've done that. It's a true thing. Realize that the giving of money to a perception of good does not cleanse the money, no matter the good that it does. If the mobster is giving, giving, stolen, giving stolen money and dirty blood money, to attempt to buy absolution. The whole reason that they're doing it is to is to gain absolution. He's sorely mistaken. We often complain when our giving of a gift is not recognized by the recipients of our gift. It goes both ways, as I just said. This is a revelation of the mobsters' why behind the try. After my crash, I received bags of lovely cards. I mean, some of the just most lovely cards. And what people didn't know uh, at the time was is I couldn't write a reply, and I felt bad about it. I felt really, really bad about it, but I couldn't physically write a letter acknowledging their gift and, and expressing to them my sincere, deep appreciation for remembering me. It's not that I wouldn't, but I didn't want to. It's that I couldn't. I couldn't physically do it. Well, thank you notes, they are indeed courteous, and they're very mannerly, and it's wise to do, um, and, I, and I like to do it. The absence of a thank you note doesn't negate or indicate the recipient that the recipient did not greatly appreciate the gift. I try to tell folks verbally to their face or on the phone how much I appreciate but what they've done for me, how they've helped me. I, I, I really, For me, I really believe in that. I know the power of a thank you note, but I, I don't, you know, if I'm in a struggle, come and see me. I'm that person. That's my love language. Come and see me. Come visit me. Come sit with me. Come pray with me. Come read me a book all about crazy Hebrew culture and all that stuff. You know, that means a lot to me. Oh, we're here. We're here. We're thinking about you. You know, whatever you need, as long as it doesn't include me leaving where I am right now or doing anything above writing a letter and putting it in the mailbox. You know, that's just how I look at it. Coming to see me means a lot to me. And it, it, it helps me. It really does. I try to tell folks. That's what I do. If, if you're a, a thank you note person, which I am also a thank you note person, but if, if you if that's your thing, then do it. Believe me, do it. If I don't physically write a, a thank you card or a thank you letter, it doesn't mean I don't appreciate the meal or the visit or the card or the kindness. But you might be surprised to know that uh, later, after you know, sometime after the crash, I realized that there were some people who were really angry, who were deeply offended and hurt that I didn't write them a thank you note immediately following receiving the card or the visit or the flowers or, or whatever the case may be. And I'm thinking, if you came to visit me, you would know I ain't writing anything <laughs> right now. I wasn't capable. It just wasn't happening. But they were mad. They were angry. Well, I can't believe I went to all that trouble. Give that card. And he didn't even write me a thank you card. Oh yeah, I found out about it. It's, it. It was it was stunning for me to realize. Look, I'm just saying, if you only give to receive recognition, or we only give when we're embarrassed into giving, our heart's in the wrong place. And that's the same way it was with the Corinthian church, and it's the same way it is with the the modern Western evangelical church. Not just you know, not just Protestant faith, but Catholics. I just talked to an Episcopal priest who said, "Man, it's we're really struggling. We don't know how we're going to make it. We got to get more people in here." But most of the people in the neighborhood where this church is, they don't have any money. 
So how do they stay open? How do they keep the doors open? And it's really a, a, a disconcerting issue. But if you only give so that someone comes to you and says, wow, you're my hero. You've saved the day. And you don't, if you don't get that feedback and you're mad and you say, you know what? I'm never giving to you again. You went, you in great. It, it, now, I'm telling you, I told these people as I was able to talk, I thank you so much. It means the world to me. Come hug me, but be gentle. Uh, thank you so much. It means the world to me. But that, that's not enough to some people. Improper intentions. Look, if you have improper intentions, you're not going to be a blessing to another person. No matter what you do, it's not going to be a blessing because that's not your intent. I, I wonder a lot, I wonder this a lot, if God asks of me if I love him because of who he is or if I love him only for what he does for me, his blessings. What is What exactly is behind my deep pleadings to God? What exactly is behind our vibrant expressions of worship? What exactly is behind our demonstrations of our faith? And I think the only person that can answer that is each individual person, right? Each individual person. He's the only person that can answer that question. Is, and, and it's, I, I always hear this from, from pastors who have church buildings and all that, and they say, hey, you know, we need to have a beautification that's what they call it. And they don't, clean up doesn't sell, so you do beautification. Um, we need to have a beautification Sunday, or we, we need to, somebody to help us paint, or somebody to move chairs, or somebody to run the vacuum. You don't hear from anybody. But if you have a famous speaker coming in, hey, I need somebody to go pick up that speaker from the airport. Well, there's 100 volunteers, because they all want to be next. You know, they all want to be next to them. So, so here's my here's my challenge to you this week, and do it however you want. Um, think about before you do something. Think about well, why am I doing this? Am I doing it to bless God? You know, I, I've seen this countless times. God bless America. No, not God bless America. America bless God. That's a powerful thing. Join us next time for Sundays with Dr. Sean. And please follow this show and the Collision of Faith and Politics radio show during the week at www.blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Ninja Pastor. And follow Dr. Sean on Twitter at The Ninja Pastor and on Facebook at www.facebook.com forward slash God in Country Radio. And check out all the free messages, archive shows, and buy Dr. Sean's critically acclaimed book, Excellence Killed the Church, How Mediocrity is Destroying America, at www.drshawngreener.com. Join us during the week. And in the meantime, Dr. Sean will be fighting for you and for this great country. Thank you for joining us in this fight.